Sam. We're just going to have a little practice. Uh, after, I've, after three, on the count of three, I want you to all say amen. One, two, three. Amen. Oh, wonderful. I'm in heaven. I'm in heaven. I was sat there. It was so quiet. Then I said amen. I thought, you noisy beggar. What are you doing disturbing this silence? But, you know, heaven's going to be full of amens. That's why Jeff keeps saying, anybody got an amen? I think what he's doing is testing to see if people are alive. Hallelujah. Praise God. What? Right, Lou. I want you to look in here. Is there anything you'd like to say to the person you see in there? Aren't you wonderful? Amen. <coughs> Amen. Lima, would you like to say anything to that person? You're beautiful. Amen. <laughs> Nisha, would you like to say anything to that person? You're beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> Praise the Lord. Reggie, it's nice to see you. I thought you'd gone back to India. Oh, you're handsome. You're looking at me, not him. I know I'm handsome, but say something to him. How about you, Anna? Would you like to say something to that person? Yes, looking nice. Very good. It's him again. Why did Jeff ask him to speak? Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Let's turn to uh, Judges chapter 6. Judges chapter 6. If you've got a Bible, you'll need it. Who knows who I might drop on? Praise the Lord. I've been set free. Hallelujah. I've been set free. My chains are gone. I've been set free. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Right. We're going to talk a bit about Gideon this morning. That's why I've turned to Judges chapter 6. The most important part of my talk today is the reading of the Scriptures. The reading of the Scriptures is the reading of the Word of God. It's what the Holy Spirit has caused to be written in a way that we can understand. The bits between the reading of the Scriptures are my bits, which I believe God has laid upon my heart. But, you know, it might be my opinion. Uh, I may have misunderstood and I might be, even be wrong. But the bits that I'm reading out of here are God's Word. And I would like you to pay special attention to God's Word. Okay. The people of Israel did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord gave them into the hands of Midian for seven years. And the hand of Midian overpowered Israel. And because of Midian, the people of Israel made for themselves the dens that are in the mountains and the caves and the strongholds. For whenever the Israelites planted crops, the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east would come up against them. And they would encamp against them and devour the produce of the land as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance in Israel and no sheep or ox or donkey. For they would come up with their livestock and their tents they would come like locusts in number. Both they and their camels could not be counted, so that they laid waste the land as they came in. And Israel was brought very low because of Midian. 
And the people of Israel cried out for help to the Lord. And when the people of Israel cried out to the Lord on account of the Midianites, the Lord sent a prophet to the people of Israel. And he said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I led you up from Egypt and brought you out from the house of slavery. And I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all who oppressed you and drove them out before you and gave you their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. Great story this. And I want to encourage you to go home and read it. Judges chapter 6. Exciting story. Amazing story. I'm not going to deal with it all this morning. I am speaking, uh, I think, next Sunday evening. So I'll finish it then. So you need to come along. If you enjoy this morning, be there next uh, a week tonight, a week this Sunday night, next Sunday evening. If there's not many there, I know you didn't enjoy it. <laughs> Hallelujah. This is about Israel, the people of God. And it's clear, if you took notice of the reading as I read it, that Israel, at this point in time, were living in a way that did not please God. There are ways that please God, and there are ways that not please God. And Israel were not living in a way that did not please God, and God allowed the Midianites to ravage them. I'm using the word aloud because I don't believe that he sent the Midianites against them. I believe that their pattern of behavior opened them up to the Midianites. And God allowed the Midianites to ravage them. Then it says, amazingly enough, after seven years, they decided to call upon the Lord. Now, it says... The Midianites had oppressed them for seven years. Now that suggests to me it took them seven years to call upon the Lord. From what I know about the Lord, I cannot imagine the Lord getting this prayer after the Midianites had been there a month and then saying to the angelic host in heaven, yeah, they're crying out, but I'm going to let them wait. Let them wait. He's not that sort of God. I believe it took them seven years of suffering, of struggling, of making dens in the hills, of seeing their crops ravaged, of seeing all their livestock taken away. I believe it took seven years and they decided to call upon the Lord. When you think that's tragic? That is tragic. God reminds him, we'll look at this in a few minutes. God reminds him the sort of God he is. They know that they're in that land because of what God has done. Seven years. And as I thought about that, I thought about us. How often it's a case of when all else fails, I'll pray. You know, it's almost as though, you know, prayer is for special occasions. I've told you the silly story how sometimes I'm going to Keithley and, uh, you know, I, it's, a, it's a rush trip in and I sort of, sort of, you know, I pray, God, you know, I need to get this done quickly. Can you provide me with a parking spot? And he does. But then there's been other times I'm driving into Keithley and I'm thinking I could do with a parking spot. 
But I asked you a couple of weeks ago, Lord, I can't keep asking for the same things. You know, I can't, I'll run out of my requests being made known. You know, I thought it was funny the other day, I took my daughter, my granddaughter, to a, a horse shop. It's got to be a horse shop nowadays. They didn't sell horses. They sold stuff for horses. And she'd gone to get uh, another pair of jodhpurs. Ha ha. Jodhpurs. They're horse things. Not to put on the horse, but to put on the rider. And, and another shirt. She's going away this week to a, to a horse week. And she was going to get some new bows. And then I saw a woman in the shop. And uh, she'd got this squirt in her hand. She came to me and says... Do you think grandma could mend my old bow? I said, oh, I'm sure she could. I'm sure she could. She says, okay, I think I might buy this squirty stuff. She was into bargaining, into negotiation. You know, and sometimes you think, well, I'm not sure. I'll tell you what, God is there waiting to hear your voice. God loves to hear our prayers. God loves to hear our voice. He loves to hear the voice of his children. Even at my esteemed age, I love to hear the voice of my kids. You know, whether it's a telephone call, that's in polite terms known as a miracle, but it's great when it happens. Or it might be in written form, text, and I imagine the voice. But God loves to hear the voice. And he allowed the Midianites to ravage them because what he wanted, he wanted them to immediately cry out, God, help! God, help! You know, some Christians love misery. They love misery. I haven't yet found a scripture that says, the misery of the Lord is my strength. <laughs> but the joy of the Lord is my strength. Hallelujah! You know, and they want to go down the tubes. You know they're down the tubes. They're not at the meeting. You know, well, you know, things weren't right. And I'll say to some folks, so why didn't you come? This is the church. This is the body of Christ. Christ is here. The Spirit of God is here. No, we'll have a month away and get miserable. Maybe we might be testing to see if anybody really loves us. Yeah, there's one in heaven loves you. There's a Holy Spirit loves you. There's Jesus Christ loves you. You know, and we sit at home for a month and we think, okay, I'll give it another go. Seven years. God wants to hear prayer today. You might say, well, it hasn't worked. Well, try again. Try again. Try again. Even now. Even now as I'm speaking, just send it up. God, I want to remind you of that prayer. I was just saying a little prayer last night, as some of you are aware. Pat had this eye operation and she went a week last Monday to the specialist who feeling that it's not worked. So she came home and said, right, we're going to pray for the next month so that I can go back. And, and I, I was just praying for it. And I prayed every day. And as I was praying, I said, Lord, I'm not praying because you haven't heard. I'm just praying because I, I just want to say that I trust you and we're just going to talk about it. You know, God wants to hear our voice and he wants to hear our prayers. And he don't want us to wait seven years. He don't want us to wait seven months. He don't want us to have a pity party for a month away from the church because you're feeling rough. Because God will smooth you out. God will smooth you out. God will speak peace into your heart and life. He can do that at home, yes. But what's the point in oiking at home when you come here and you've got the fellowship of the saints? Hallelujah. Seven years. 
But then you see what happened. God immediately responded to their prayer. God immediately responded to their prayer. This is a manifestation of God's grace. I was struck afresh recently how all these stories in the Old Testament, they actually illustrate the wonderful truths that we find in the New Testament. And this is the grace of God hundreds of years before Jesus came full of grace and truth because God has always been a God of grace. God has not been sat waiting for Jesus to go to the cross to suddenly reveal that in fact he's got a gracious side to him. God has always been gracious. And this is a God of grace who immediately responds to their prayer. Do you know where God was? Where God was? Waiting for the day they would call out to him. He was actually in their midst. He was with them. He told them he was taking them out of Egypt and he was going to dwell amongst them. He was there waiting for them. He hadn't hiked off somewhere. He wasn't sat in heaven miles and millions of miles away. He was in their midst with them, with them in their mess, with them in their distress, waiting for them just to say, God, help. God is as near as the word upon your lips. He's that near. And that's the sort of God we have. We were singing that song, and if I wonder, love will love will find me. So we had a little theological discussion, didn't we? Love never loses us. The love of God never loses us. So there's no way that love has to find us. Wherever we are, God is there. If we choose to have a pity party, God ain't invited. But you know, he turns up. And he's sat there. You know, he might not be offered a bun. Might not be offered a cup of coffee. But he's there. He's there. And he was in their midst, waiting for them to cry out to him. Hallelujah. I believe that God was sad at the behavior of his people. But there was no way that he would not respond as soon as they cried out to him. He's not that sort of God. He's not that sort of God. God had planned for eternity to have a people amongst whom he will live. You read the scriptures. He makes that very plain. Time after time after time, I will be their God, they will be my people, and I will dwell among them. He planned this for eternity. There is nothing we can do to persuade him to be with us. There's nothing we can do to drive him away. By his grace, he has chosen to be with us. And by his grace, he remains with us. This is his initiative. He's with us this morning out of his initiative. Sometimes we sing, God, we welcome you here. I think who's doing the welcoming here? It's the Spirit of God that's doing the welcoming. It's God who's set it up. It's God who's laid out the table. It's God who's organized the party. He's the host. And hallelujah, we're not even just the guests, we're his kids. We're his family. Praise the Lord. The issue is, and the issue always is, will we allow him to be involved with our lives? For seven years, it appears as though Israel 
just left him out of it. Will we allow him to be involved with our lives? And will we be involved with him, with his will and with his purposes? He's here. But the issue is, are we going to take advantage of that and be with him and allow him to be with us? Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days, all the days of my life. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days, all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And I shall feast at the table spread for me. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days, all the days of my life. Isn't it good to sing praises to God? Hallelujah. You were a bit embarrassed then. You didn't know what to do, did you? Should we sing? Should we not sing? Should we tell him to shut up, sit down, or what? Goodness and mercy follows us all the days of our life. What did he do? He sent a prophet. Ah, oh, hallelujah. Praise God for prophets. Praise God for prophets. He sent a prophet, and that prophet reminded them from God, what God had done. That's part of the purpose of prophets. To remind us what God has done. To remind us what's happened in our lives. He reminded them that he'd set them free from all bondage. That's why they were in the promised land. They'd been set free from all bondage. The prophet also confirmed that God was their God. And the prophet also reminded them that they were not to be afraid of the gods of their enemies. Interestingly, immediately after that it says, but they disobeyed. And I looked at that and I thought, what's that mean? They disobeyed. Disobeyed what? Well, the, thing, the only thing I could see disobeying the previous sentence is being afraid of their enemies. You know, brothers and sisters, we can build up mountains of fear. We can sit down and allow the mountains of fear to build up. And God says, we are not to be afraid. You know, we start thinking, well, what if this happens? And what if that happens? And what if the other, oh dear, I don't know. And suddenly, we find we've got headache. Suddenly, we find pressures coming in. I've experienced it. I've experienced it. I've told you before about the time I bought my very first brand new car, the Volvo. I'm driving along and I'm thinking, I'd already worked out I can afford this, and suddenly, what, what, what about this? What about, I'm building a mountain of fear. You know, many Christians sit building mountains of fear. Many Christians declare stuff that is not right, and they create mountains in their life. And they become subject to their mountains. Their lives are controlled by that. Sometimes you might think, it's not easy to be a Christian. That is not true. 
And it, it can become a mountain, an obstacle for us that we can't get over. Because the Holy Spirit lives within us. Jesus said he will walk with us and we will never fall. All that we need is in him. And we can build these mountains. We need to be aware when we're starting to allow ourselves to be subject to uh, the gods of the enemies of God. They had not obeyed. God had every right at this point, after he'd sent the prophet, to remind them what he'd done for them. He brought them out of Egypt. That was a mighty, miraculous work. That was absolutely incredible. When you look back through the whole history of mankind, some amazing things have happened in the history of mankind. But the exodus from Egypt coming out with all those ten plagues behind them, what happened and through the wilderness and going into the promised land, that was an hap a happening of epic perform uh, uh, epic dimensions in any age. That was a major, major miracle of God. And he reminded of that. And he had every right to say, you've made your bed, lie on it. You've chosen other gods, go for them. That God is a God of blessing. He could have said that right at the beginning when Adam and Eve did what they did because it's no different. It's no different. But that is not God. God is a God of all grace. God is a God of blessing. And he knew the choices that they had made that led them to that seven years of bondage. He knew that they were not a blessing. Every opportunity there is for God to bless his people, God will take it. One of the challenges we have, of course, is that we don't always recognize blessings. I don't. You know, sometimes something comes and I think, oh, flipping heck. And then I look back afterwards and think, actually, that was a blessing. That was a blessing. I enjoyed that, yeah. But at the beginning, I've labeled it. And so often we label things at the beginning blessing, non-blessing. And we have our own ideas, but I'll tell you what, God's thoughts are much higher than our thoughts. His ways are much higher than our ways. You know, you look at this congregation. <laughs> As I look across this congregation, I see some Yorkshire folk. I see some, I don't know, Nottinghamshire folk. There are such things. <laughs> I see people from other parts of the country. I see some from the Indian subcontinent some from Africa what a mixture we are would we have done this no no I'll tell you what we'd have done we'd have wanted to be where everybody looks like us and that's what some churches even now do so they have West Indian church they have an Asian church they have this sort of church because they all look the same but this is what God's after people of every kindred, tribe, tongue, and nation. That's the kingdom of God. And I believe that that is what the church should reflect. But that wouldn't be our wisdom. We'd look for people we'd get on with. <laughs> I think I get on with most folk here. Is anybody I don't get on with apart from Stuart Binns? <laughs> 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 
No choice. That is right, Stuart. You've hit the nail on the head. There's a word of wisdom. No choice. Because God has done the work. And it's his choice. It's his choice that Stuart and I are in the same group. I'll tell you what, he's a blessed man, is Stuart. He's a great fella to have in the group. He says it in a different way, but there is a truth in there. And it's such a blessing to have him there. But this is the wisdom of God. This is the wisdom, this is the blessing of God. And God is always ready to move into action on behalf of his chosen people. Many of you, many of you know what I'm saying is true. Many of you can step forward and tell of little blessings that you've had. You know, little things that have happened that sort of thing. I never expected that to happen, no. Because you hadn't realized at that time that the God of blessing was looking out for that opportunity to bless you. We are a blessed people. And one thing about those blessings is the scripture says, God doesn't add any sorrow to it. God doesn't add any sorrow to it. If you want a payday loan, you can go to wherever you go, to Wonga and what have you. It's just what you need. You need it at this time. You know, you don't have to worry about getting back and finding a garage or whatever. And then the sorrow comes two months later when you suddenly realize you've got to pay this back. But the blessing of God is rich. And there's no sorrow added. Let's read a couple more verses. Am I saying anything that's making any sense? Yeah. Yeah. Right, verse 11 and 12. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abiezrite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you. Almighty man of valor. Notice what happens. There doesn't appear to be any time delay here. God sent a prophet. But more than that, and it says an angel of the Lord, but if you read the passage, it's actually the Lord himself. The Lord actually turns up at Gideon's home. Wow. Wow. Has God ever turned up at your home? Oh, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. The Lord turns up at Gideon's home. Do you know, God's desire is to be with us in our home. He desires. We don't have to go anywhere to meet God. You know, if you want to take a 45-pound train ride and go to somewhere in London, you meet him if you want. Or you can just open your eyes, lie in your bed, and say, God, I just thank you that you're in bed with me. Hallelujah. What a wonderful person to have in bed with us. Almighty God himself. God actually visited Gideon. But do you know, God lives with us. He lives with us. Do we believe it? Is there anybody who didn't say yes then? God lives with you. Yes. Okay. God's desire 
is to be with us in our home. He actually dwells with us. Jesus said this, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. Hallelujah. <laughs> I don't know how I'd feel if several of you turned up to our house one day and said, we've actually come to live with you. <laughs> we thought we'd make our home with you. I think you're going to have to think again about that. But God said, we will make our home with you. What's a home? Anybody tell me what a home is? It's a dwelling place, yes. And what's a home or a dwelling place? Somewhere? Somewhere where you feel comfortable, yes. I hope when you come to my home, you feel comfortable. You've never been? Shame on you. You walk along the canal plenty. Fellowship and relationship and love and peace. Uh, I go to... Uh, uh, Tom and Minu's home once a fortnight and we have a home group and we have fellowship and love and peace and that. But anybody tell me anything else about home? Home is where the heart is. Is that right? Home is where the heart is. Did she? Oh, okay. Yeah, sometimes my heart is, is with my kids. I'm, it's not my home, but I know what you're saying. Yeah. yeah. Pardon? It's your shelter. You're saying, oh, lots of subtle things, but not, not what I want you to say. I could keep going all day. Can't. Home is where you dwell. It's the place of your natural abiding. It's the place where if somebody wants to find you, they are most likely to find you at home. All these other things are true, but all these other things are true of anywhere. But home is unique. Well, yes, so is a church a sanctuary. Church building's a sanctuary. But home is my address. Home is George's place. If God makes his home with us, what it means is we are his place. We are his place. We are the place of his residence. If anybody wants to find God, they wonder what address does he live at? Airedale Church is his address. No more than that. George Jarvis is address. Because he's made his home with me. This is his home. If I'm going to send him a Christmas card, I have to send it to myself. <laughs> Let's understand these words. We, we use expressions, sanctuary, feeling comfortable, and all those things are true. But there is something unique about home. Somebody visited us a few weeks ago. They've been to different places and they came in. They sat down. And they said, oh, home, home. They were saying something special. Sometimes folk come to the house and they'll say, I felt at home here. Now we know what they're saying, don't we? It's not just a feeling comfortable. It's not just that they're in a place of shelter. No, it's saying something special. And God, Jesus said, God the Father God the Son and God the Holy Spirit will make their home with us. God, your, God's address is you. God's address is you. You know, if it, I just 
have a fancy that if Angel Gabriel went to God one day and said, God, I'd like to send you a Christmas card. I've never sent you one. Where should I send it to? He'd say, send it to my home. Where's that? Well, George, I've made my home with George. I've made my home with Philip. I've made my home with Sam. We are his address. There is something special about home. To emphasize that, Jesus also said this in John 15. He says, abide in me and I will abide in you. Abiding is somewhere we live. We live in an abode, a dwelling, a home. I abide in Riddlesden. Dear, I've gone and told you, Chris, where I live now. I'm not telling the street, though. I'm not telling you it's St. Mary's Road. But he says, abide with me and I in you. What Jesus is saying, we live in each other. Now, your mind can't get around this. My mind can't. But I think what we need to do is embrace the truth and speak it to ourselves. Jesus lives in us. And we live in Jesus. I remember one lady coming to the church, not this church, it was when I was less than many years ago. And uh, she, well, she sort of was attracted by the Christianity shown in Pat. And then one of the excuses she put up, she says, I'm not sure I could live in each other's pockets like you do. She was actually saying something very pertinent there. Because she'd picked up that we lived with each other and each other lived with the other one. And Jesus says, I live with you and you live with me. Gideon was visited. But God lives here. Brothers and sisters, I want us to grasp this. God lives within us. Gideon was in the winepress at this point. Hiding from the Midianites, beating out wheat. Reading between the lines, Gideon was afraid. So he was down in this pit, the wine press, beating out the, uh, beating out the corn. Why did the Lord visit Gideon? Because Gideon looked as though he was afraid. Gideon was part of this bunch that for seven years hadn't called out to him. Well, the reason God visited Gideon was that the Lord had chosen Gideon. The Lord had chosen Gideon. Gideon hadn't been to missionary school. Gideon hadn't responded to an appeal for bravery. God had chosen Gideon. And because God chosen Gideon, he visited him. In all our relationships with God, in all our interactions with God, the starting point is he has chosen us. He has chosen us. God has chosen you. And what the Lord here in visiting uh, Gideon, he's invoking a principle that Jesus shared with his disciples where Jesus said this, you did not choose me, but I chose you. And when I chose you, I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. Being chosen by Jesus means we will bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that... Whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it you. Now, this is a principle. And God visited uh, Gideon. Gideon was God's choice. And he's saying, Gideon, you're my choice. We don't have the conversation. But if Gideon said, 
Why have you come, Lord? That wasn't there. Because Gideon knew, he knew enough to know that God had chosen to come. There's no indication that Gideon had called out to God at this point. Now the corollary of that is, his choice will be fruitful. So at this point in time, Gideon is destined to be fruitful. You've been chosen by God and you will be fruitful. You will bear fruit for God. And the third thing is, we can ask the Father for whatever. As a result of being chosen and being fruitful, we can ask the Father for whatever. We're not going to deal with it, but if you read the story, I'll tell you what, Gideon tries my patience. But he obviously didn't try God's patience. He says, give me a sign. Give me a sign. It's really you. So Gideon spent hours preparing this meal for this visitor. And God, the visitor, says, just put it on that rock. And he went, poof. He says, now I know. Did he know? You know the story, those of you. He says to God, hey, just put it with me once more. Put a fleece out on the ground. And if the fleece is wet and the ground's dry, I'll take it, it's from you. And it was. And then Gideon thought, it's more likely the fleece will be wet than the ground. It'll dry slower. I'll tell you what, God, I'll put the fleece out again if it's all right. And if the fleece is dry and the ground is wet, do you know, because Gideon has been chosen by God, he's going to be fruitful, and God has allowed him to ask whatever he wants. And Gideon was asking question after question, test after test. And God, God put up with that because that's part of him choosing. Part of him choosing you is he chose you to be fruitful. And in choosing you to be fruitful, whatever you ask in the name of Jesus, God will give it. Hallelujah. I'll finish with the next bit. I've gone on a bit too long. The Lord greets Gideon. He starts off by saying, the Lord is with you. Do you know, in these four words, God states his total commitment to Gideon. And he states in those four words, the total availability to Gideon of all his resources. Hundreds of years later, the writer to the Hebrews said this, God said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? God says, I'm with you. And you could say, Gideon, what can man do to me? I will not fear. God spoke these same words to Agai. Agai was at a time when they were rebuilding the temple. They were rebuilding the temple. And there was old stages sitting by Pouring score, don't look like, don't look like the old one. Well, you might be putting the temple, but it's a bit of a rubbish attempt. And God sent the prophet with four words. He said to Agai, tell him, I am with you. I am with you. Never despise these words. The Bible tells us to never despise prophecies. How much we should never despise the word of God. No better way of encouraging ourselves in God, and the scripture calls us to encourage ourselves in God, than by saying to ourselves, God is with you, George. That's why I took the mirror around to see what people would say. And everybody said something very positive. 
But if you want to encourage yourself, God is with you. George, God is with you. Wake up on the morning. God is still with you. He's been there through the night, George. And we can encourage ourselves with those four powerful words. Almighty man of valor. I am with you. Almighty man of valor. Now, this is a joke, isn't it? Who's God speaking to? Who's God speaking to? He's speaking to this man who's hiding down in a pit, threshing a bit of wheat. It's the word of God. Almighty man of valor. Do you know what Jesus said? The kingdom of God sees treasure in a field. And God saw treasure. The field was called Gideon. And God saw treasure in that field. Do you know what I think? I think God had seen Gideon beating out that wheat. And Gideon wasn't aware of it, but I think God saw that what was in Gideon's mind was, wheat, I'd like to do this to the Midianites. If I had a chance, I'd do this to the Midianites. Just as I'm doing to you, I'd do it to the Midianites. He's doing it in his imagination. And God sees into his imagination. And what does God see? A thresher. He sees a thresher. Isaiah 41, a few years later, God says this of his people, Behold, I make of you a threshing sledge, new, sharp, having teeth. You shall thresh the mountains and crush them. You shall make the hills like chaff. The mountains there are every authority that is in opposition to God. And God's looking for threshers because he's made us to be threshers. He's made us to thresh the mountains down. He's made us to pull down every authority, everything that raises itself against God. And especially those authorities that have the temerity to arise in our own minds and in our own thinkings. And threshers will deal with that. The other important thing was that Gideon, the Lord here, was affirming to Gideon his true identity. His true identity. Do you know what Gideon means? Warrior. Warrior. And Gideon had never thought about that. He'd never thought about his identity. And God comes and says, mighty warrior, mighty Gideon. Gideon, you're Gideon, you're a warrior. Understand, you're Gideon, you're a warrior. That's your identity. That's what you were born with. That's the name you were given at birth. You were given warrior. Your destiny, tied up with your destiny, is that you are a warrior. He implied that, in fact, Gideon wasn't living in the light of his identity. We've heard so much over recent times about identity. What is your identity? We need to lift up our thinking. We need to stop being spiritual paupers. We are sons of God. We have a heavenly father that created the gold in every gold mine, that created every diamond, that ultimately owns all the cattle, on all the hills. We are an heavenly father who is short of absolutely nothing. We have a heavenly father that can take five loaves and two fishes and feed, what? 
20,000 people with them. Men, women, kids. We first of all have to know that he's our father. Gideon, warrior, you're a warrior. You're a warrior. And we need to look in the mirror and start speaking. Hello, son of God. Hello, son of God. Hello, son of the heavenly father. Hello, you look good today. You are good today. You're going to do good today. Amen? Amen. 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 I'd like us to close just by doing one silly little thing. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Hallelujah. If you, you, don't want it, you don't have to do this if you don't want. But I'd like you to talk to yourself for a few minutes. And I'd like you to address yourself. I'd like you to address yourself with words, not thoughts. I'm going to say, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? And I would like us to address ourselves in that. So I'm going to say, George... God will never leave you nor forsake you. So I can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? So let's just have a little go. Say it to yourself. Don't say George. If your name is Martin, say Martin. If your name is John, say John. Okay. Right. One, two, three. George, I will never leave you nor forsake you, says the Lord. So, George, you can confidently say, the Lord is your helper. You will not fear. What can man do to you? Amen. 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 This is what Jeff's talking about. Taking the word and making it our own. Amen. There's lots more to talk about, Gideon. A week tonight, be there or be square. Amen. Right. Praise the Lord. I'd like to give a notice, seeing as everybody else did. I've got some prayer letters here, prayer and newsletters from Ralph and Renuka, the latest one. I'll put them on the table. Please help yourself to them, and then you can pray for the work they're doing. Bread work, Bev. Praise God. She went to the hospital on Wednesday. God was good. She's been discharged. She doesn't have to go anymore. Hallelujah.